by Hilaire. Is Chappie the British Butler yet again? Can you believe it? Did you, can you believe that I had the stamina, the stamina to do a second podcast over the course of an entire weekend? Well, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to make it through. I just looked at my hair in the mirror and there's a wild haircut today, laddie. There's a curl in the hair today. The frost has got to the hair and there's a curl in the hair. It's, uh, it's absolutely awful. Uh, I, I normally make myself look rather lovely for you. I slick my hair back and, and uh, you know, clean my teeth, brush, uh, you know, freshen the breath, uh, have a nice clean pair of socks on, uh, a starch, stiff collar. I mean, that's, that's, that's really what I do constantly when it, when it comes to looking wonderful for you, ladies and doing mantelpieces. Um, fantastic to have you here, though. It's episode number 42, and um, we've got a busy, busy program uh, today as we, uh, as we give you a, a glorious sleigh ride into the festive season here on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Um, some of the things that we uh, may or may not be talking about today uh, is uh, Rudy Giuliani was caught farting in court. I mean, this gentleman's star has truly faded over the years, and now he is farting in front of a young lawyer in court, and she looks absolutely disgusted. Uh, we're going to be looking at it later and maybe possibly reenacting it. Um, we did have Save the Redhead for Christmas, Save a Ginger for Christmas. Um, some rascal has um, has created and given me some sort of level of schadenfreude over the course of the uh, last week. I'm going to uh, let you know what that is. There's also a 700 million drug haul in a Thailand uh, lavatory cleaner. Um, I don't even know what that, uh, what that, were they hiding the drugs in the lavatory? I mean, uh, I don't even think a good dose of the uh, Trump bleach would, uh, would uh, kill all the germs and umska on those, uh, on the drugs that they were hidden in the lavatory. Um, also, coming along the way here, how offset sitting for long hours cycle can be a fidget. So, if you're sitting at your desk for a long amount of time, then fidgeting is apparently very, very good for you, indeed. Um, I don't know if we discussed, I don't think we discussed the Christmas cockerel, uh, but the uh, cockerel is the top bird for foodies this Christmas. Um, also, why happiness keeps your brain young. And we never even covered the, uh, the, the, the whole Stilton crisis um, because of, uh, because of uh, COVID. Uh, Stilton makers are getting the blues as their plans crumble over COVID. The Stilton cheese, um, the, uh, some of the rest, best restaurant Christmas dinner boxes. Um, and I don't think we covered Does My Dog Love Me or Is He In It For Just The Food? The greedy dormouth does get stuck um, and, uh, and and couldn't couldn't escape from its hatch. Um, also, a man counting the contents of Quality Street tin. Quality Street is a candy fulfilled with lots of rich, lovely goodies, lots of chocolate, lots of chewy toffees, some to- few coffee creams in there as well for those who uh, aren't so keen um, on the uh, on the probably the best selection which is the chew toffee all those little uh, 
those little Nosset uh, triangles are absolutely delicious. We're also going to be having a uh, game of historical Tinder. A enigmatic English eccentric will be popping along the way as well um, during the course of the uh, course of the program. Um, Shane McGowan's accent, Shane McGowan of the Pogues, who's got a very uh, pronounced Irish accent, um, requires subtitles for his Crock of Gold film. Um, how to choose a snack, what is the least unhealthy option, and uh, also we're going to be examining some of the worst Christmas movies in the world. Well, could they be the best? So it's going to be uh, Cracker or Crackpot this Christmas. Uh, and uh, we're going to go, uh, be pulling an absolute belter, an absolute cracker uh, later on today um, with, uh, with with this new feature. It's Cracker or Crackpot uh, when it comes to uh, holiday movies. Uh, and, and I don't know how, I think it's almost impossible to watch more than one Hallmark holiday movie. It's like having it's like having hot chocolate uh, with caramel in it, and then you put marshmallows on top, and uh, and then the squirty sugary cream. It's too much. It's too much sugar. It's too much saccharin in the Hallmark holiday movie. Uh, it's too much to bear, uh, without a doubt. So, just a quick question for you lovelies out there. Um, now, I know back in the wartime we were all very thrifty. And we used to darn our socks. So if you got a hole in the socks, you would, you would try to repair it so it could be worn again. You know, these times were uh, thrifty times, and we're trying to save money. Now I'm just wondering: is there is there any anything out there where I can actually uh, repair holes in my underoos, my boxer shorts, my boxer briefs? Is it possible? Because I'm finding, I, I just removed fifteen pairs of boxer shorts with all sorts of I mean some of these caverns were like like the Grand Canyon there were so many holes uh, it was it's like the it was honestly the uh, like the black hole um, and they're all in my boxer shorts I have to I had to throw away 15 pairs all in the crotch area I mean I don't <laughs> I mean I'm an innocent butler I don't know what goes on when it when 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 there's holes in the boxer shorts, I mean this many, I mean they couldn't even wear them. I mean the gusset is split. There's so many holes. I mean you can't. I can't even. Uh, I mean it'd be indecent to wear them. You know, it really would be. And let alone wear them as a COVID mask, which I have done on occasion. I do prefer uh, prefer a thong uh, to a holy pair of boxer shorts. Um, when I say holy, I'm not holy as in um, holy Christmas or holly Christmas. I'm talking about lots of holes that uh, is almost like a piece of Swiss cheese, uh, honestly. So 700 million drug haul in Thailand was a lavatory cleaner. A cleaner of the guardrail, mom. Um, the Thai government has admitted that 11.5 tons of chemicals seized by anti-narcotics police are not drugs worth more than 700 million, but harmless stain removers. Somsak Thuksin, the uh, justice minister, admitted that rather than 29 billion baht, worth 715 million pounds, worth of ketamine, the Narcotics Control Board has seen 475 sacks of trisodium phosphate, a legal chemical used as a food additive and cleaning agent. The mistake occurred after the seizure of the bags, from a uh, warehouse in Thailand. This discovery is only the beginning, said Mr. Somsak. Um, 
that's an unfortunate name. Uh, some, at least it's not Borsak, I suppose. And uh, the triumphant press conference. There will be further investigations to seize ill-gotten gains connected to drug smuggling. The chemical turned out to be a testing solution, purple, as uh, does ketamine. But further investigation revealed the same effect is caused by trisodium phosphate, which is actually used in lavatory cleaners and as acidity and regulator in foods. Only 66 of the 475 sacks have been checked and testing continues in the legal chemical case. Um, and uh, apparently it could be being used to hide an illicit one. The authorities appear to recognize, however, that they have made an embarrassing error. So they basically, um, they basically seize tons and tons of toilet duck. That, that's basically what it is. All the, all the blue thing you put in the toilet that you can flush a million times and it never disappears and makes all the water blue and covers all sorts of indiscretions. That's basically what the Thai, uh, the Thai police found, stashed toilet duck, basically. Um, absolutely fantastic. Um, I wonder if they had a, a stash of plungers or, um, or, a, or a rather stiff toilet brush as well. A brush for the loo, madam. So how to offset sitting for long hours, cycle and be a fidget. So take up cycling. Blood flow to the legs is reduced when we sit over time that can lead to stiffer blood vessels. Hardening and narrowing of the arteries and a greater risk of heart disease. Although fit people are not immune from these effects, endurance exercise can help. In one trial, researchers at Hozo University in Tokyo compared a group of male cyclists who amassed more than 300 miles a week in the saddle with another group of men who did no endurance training after general daily activity after sitting for three hours. I just wonder, I, I mean, I think for these cyclists out there, it'd be a more rigorous exercise if they, instead of cycling on the paths, they occasionally went up onto the grass to let dog walkers through without being ran over. I mean, it could give them even more exercise rather than the, rather than the constant to the right, to the left, to the right. And I have to move, you know, two ravenous hounds uh, to the side and, um, and let the cyclists pass. Anyway, the drop in blood flow through the uh, uh, popliteal artery, which runs the length of the leg, um, was reduced in both groups while sitting. But this was more significant in the non-cyclists. This suggests that endurance activity limits the damage caused by sitting for projected periods. Also, fidget while you sit. This isn't a problem for me. I'm a big fidgeter. I have got proverbial ants in my pants. So I would have ants in my pants if they didn't have so many holes in, but the ants would escape. Uh, breaks in sitting time have shown to improve a body's glucose and insulin responses as well as a, uh, boost blood flow. But even restless movements were found to counteract with some of the harmful effects of sitting and also squatting. So is it accepted? It says squat or kneel when watching TV. Is it accepted as squat in front of the TV? I don't know. As many discovered during lockdown, it's an easy way to spend the majority of the day. Sitting and lack of movement and slump in muscle metabolism have shown a raise in risk of cardiovascular disease. However, kneeling or squatting involves higher levels of muscle activity than chair sitting. I mean, I, I, I've got some bad knees here, so I would want to maybe have a couple of cushions or other things you can, like knee pads you can get. So if you're on your knees a lot, which, you know, as we were in COVID, sounds a, a little bit like a boarding school activity. Um, lots of knee pads there. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, squatting maybe, but how, how long can you squat for? I mean, what's the average squattage time? I would I would ask this question. 
but anyway, the the key is to fidget. You know, get the get the toes tingling and uh, tinkling of the toes, uh, get the hands moving, get you know, get everything moving. Just fidget around a little bit. When you get back into the office, you'll get some rather strange looks, I think. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's introduce the uh, Christmas cockle. This year's top bird for foodies. Smaller than a turkey, it's perfect for now, and the demand is already high. Every year, um, I go through the same discussion about the menu for Christmas Day. Uh, somebody wants a turkey, somebody wants a goose, and one of us ends up in disappointment. We're actually going to be talking about the history of the goose later, by the way. This year, though, I have hit upon the perfect compromise, a cockerel. Bigger than a chicken, it provides some of the madrama and deeper flavour its larger American cousin, but without the threat of leaving you with leftovers into March. A typical three-kilogram bird will serve six and has tradition on its side. Until the arrival of the turkey in the 16th century, cockerel was a common sight on the festive table. I thought goose was. I uh, may not be alone in thinking Alec Mercer of Packington Free Range in Staffordshire in the UK said that demand had already outstripped last year's, even with a month to go. Tom Kopaz, who rears turkeys and cockles on the family farm in Berkshire, reports that orders for the Christmas cockerel are up 80%. So it must be fun, you know, the, the, the Christmas cock is, is tasty, you know. It's crows early. Maybe you don't have to get it in the oven so early. You can have some resting time and that's rather nice on Christmas morning that you don't have to get the cock in the oven as quickly as the turkey or as early as the turkey. I mean, do you have to baste the bird? Do you have to do you have to rub all sorts of oil and goodness and get that bird, you know, uh, nice and oiled up? Do you have to oil up the cock or as much as the turkey? Th these are big questions. We're not talking about tough old birds that have spent several years uh, servicing hens in the family's backyard. These are male chickens that have been killed at the cusp of maturity, anything from 15 to 26 weeks. Uh, the reward for the farmer's patience is the meat full of flavour, which is still beautifully moist with uh, extra fat. So there we go. Extra fat, oily bird, very moist. Everyone's a winner. Uh, we're accustomed to be supremely bland, anemic chickens in our country. Um, but the cockerel is a delicious thing. The flesh is firmer. So firm. So you've got a firm flesh cock, which has got real character. I'll describe it as gamey. I uh, wouldn't describe it as gamey as such, but it's fuller, deeper flavour. So fuller and deeper for the Christmas cockerel, especially in the legs. Um, and at the restaurants, it typically serves a breast and a leg. So you get a breast and a leg, so you get the cockerel, the cocks, breast and leg, uh, and the breast can either be poached, uh, and on the rare occasions they might use a water bath or confeared in duck fat, and the leg roasted slowly. At home, though, uh, he'll roast the whole with just a salt and pepper and a few sprigs of thyme. That's when you know it's good quality. So there we go. Uh, let's let's try the uh, Christmas cockle this year. And um, it's it's got natural moistness, and you don't have to worry about uh, basting it to an inch of its life. Um, anybody's try anybody who's tried a Christmas cockle um, this year uh, or last year, let me know. Uh, I'd love answers on a postcard. Uh, that you know, I want to know is is the, is the cock a tough old bird, or uh, or is it more flavoursome than the turkey? Okay, so Christmas continues on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese with Stilton makers get the blues as Christmas plans crumble under COVID. 
Uh, for centuries it's been a staple of British Christmas, but the lovers of blue vein Stilton cheese may need something else to accompany their, with their glasses of port this year. Renowned as the king of English cheeses on account of those blue veins and a long association with aristocratic hunting parties in the shires, Stilton is facing a blue famine after production stoppages caused by coronavirus lockdowns and unpredictable demand. I think a lot of shops may well find themselves in a position where rationing is going to be a strategy, said Jason Hines, a sales director at Neil Yard's Dairy in London. While mass-produced supermarkets of Stilton have proved less susceptible to the fluctuating demand, gourmets who would never consider doing their festive shop in Tesco's might be in for a shock. Craft producers of the high-end blue cheeses have ended a miserable year of trying to second-guess lockdown restrictions weeks in advance. When the first lockdown began in March, many cheesemakers were left with large amounts of stock. Some had to throw cheese away. Oh my gosh, throwing a cheese mountain away, just bring it over here. Load it up on a horse and cart and bring me the blue vein Stilton. I love it. The uh, distinctive veins generated by the penicillin rock 40 mold need at least eight weeks to develop. Cheeses destined for a Christmas consumption this year needed to be produced by mid-October when concern over a second wave of the virus was at its height. Um, so I don't want to make a mountain out of, uh, of cheese, uh, then have another lockdown just as we had, said Joe Snyder, who uses traditional Stilton techniques to create a distinctive blue cheese from unpasteurized milk at his uh, Starshelton uh, dairy in Nottinghamshire. Uh, that would kneecap our sales. So since coming out of the lockdown, the dairy is trying to make up the shortfall, producing as much Stilton as possible. It requires 30% of its annual sales in the seven weeks leading up to Christmas. If Stilton supplies do run out, British consumers may find alternatives lacking. Gorgonzola produced in Italy have had similar problems. There's briefly a run on Roquefort cheese that suggests that the penicillin Rock 40 mold might help combat COVID-19. So I, I, so I didn't know this. People were like spreading cheese all over their bodies, blue cheese, uh, as, a, as a cure for COVID. You know what? Take me to the hospital. Spread me, Spread blue cheese all over me. And I'll be fine. You know, maybe put me under the grill and uh, wake me up when I'm done eating it all. Um, any event, uh, Shire advises customers to get it in early. Get your Stilton early, mate. A really fine piece of Stilton on the table. Chesterton also noted in his sonnet to Stilton Cheese, Stilton thou should, shouldest, living at this hour, England has need of thee, and so have I. So... Somebody got me back in the week. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about dog walking and the whole um, effort of having to carry uh, a dog poo bag for like two miles because there's no there's no rubbish bins, no trash cans anymore. They've been taken away, I think. So you know, I was thinking about the stealthy move of just flicking the wrist and flicking the poop bag into a skip like a construction skip nobody looking just subtly over the shoulder it's like dropping a golf ball and you know out of the rough and just dropping that into that skip and then walking away quickly looking ahead not looking back well so my trash was picked up the other day and um i noticed that uh somebody had uh, flicked a dog shit bag into my trash, into my rubbish. All the rubbish had been taken away, 
that somebody had walked along with their dog, saw my rubbish bin out, and flicked the uh, excrement, the doggy poo-poo, into my rubbish bin. So I tell you, fate bit me in the bottom again um, after me joking about that. Charlotte Freud has truly struck back in the Chappy household. So the big question is, does my dog love me or is she just in it for the food? Do dogs love me or are they in it for the kibble? Dogs have a range of complex emotions and cognitions like us, uh, says Philip Tadushi um, at the University of Denver. We want to be careful not to require that dogs have to have human emotions in order for us to recognize them. So yes, dogs can love us in certain senses of the word, but we humans still have to be careful uh, that we don't expect our pets to act or think like people. The way dogs function and think is, of course, very different to how humans do. But in some ways, uh, Tadushi explains that their brains do work similarly to ours. Dogs share much of the same neurological structures and use the same parts of the brain as people do when feeling love and affection. He cites a recent study. Uh, they've done MRIs to see how dogs' brains respond to the voices of the people in their lives. They found that when parts of the dog's brains that light up when they hear their person are the same parts that are activated in human brains when we hear voices of people we love. Some experts argue, how, however, that we can't necessarily attribute the ne neurological response to love. Unfortunately, the field currently uh, just doesn't uh, have sophisticated enough methodologies to provide a definitive answer to the question. However, the answers we do have certainly indicate that dogs are capable of forming strong emotional bonds with their, with their owners. Uh, studies have shown that when humans cuddle with dogs, oxytocin, uh, the love hormone, is released into their bodies, which means that when we pet them, they're getting an amazing uh, body snuggle high, that when we snuggle them, also they're getting the same high. Researchers suggest that when we pet our dogs, the kind of oxytocin feedback loop is created that's similar to the one created between a mother and a child. So, I mean, we are the dog's parents, basically. So I've got, um, I've got two daughters, but then I've got uh, three hounds as well. I've got George, the uh, Collie, Maggie, the Corgi, and Jack, the Terrier. don't know if Jack always loves me. I think it's a sort of love-hate sort of relationship. He's more like the serpent in the Garden of Eden sometimes, with a nasty nip and a nasty bite, and a sting in the tail as well, I think. Um, but... It's, it's rather nice. I mean, dogs are man's best friend, and they are also absolutely wonderful companions. Okay, so we have another little uh, session of Trump or trombone uh, when we're looking at some of the probably the worst headline crimes of the week and uh, seeing if they're a Trump or indeed a trombone. Um, so this week, uh, we, uh, we, as always, we, we, we seem to have constant, uh, constant news about the, uh, about the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, but this is more Nessie news. Pint-sized Nessie living in Wales could survive off eating sheep, says researcher. The sightings of the so-called Tegulin Tegred, uh, wakes back and dates back to 1975, all report a similar Nessie-looking creature on a much smaller scale. Teggy has been spotted multiple times in Barlow Lake in Wales. The Loch Ness Monster draws in thousands of tourists each year, but it might not be the only beast hiding in Britain's deep water. 
Beast of Britain author Andy McGrath has looked into seven chilling eyewitness accounts of an amphibian 12 foot long in Wales' largest and deepest lake, Barla Lake, in Snowdonia uh, National Park. The sightings of Teggy of Lynn Teggard with uh, date back to 1975, all report a similar Nessie-looking creature described as greyish-brown or black in colour and typically 8 to 12 foot long. Mysterious animals are believed to have one or two humps, a long neck, a roundish football-sized head with a crocodile snout. It sounds an absolute beauty, doesn't it? Um, I think Nessie could be swimming around uh, doing butterfly stroke with uh, Elvis, with Elvis's last seat uh, sighted in the lock as well, and Lord Lucan. Um, on her back with her best friend being a duckbill platypus. So next on Trump or Trombone, we have Man Counts Up Contents of Qualitary Street Tin and leaves people absolutely fuming. A tweet showing the ratio of each variety of chocolates inside a tin of Quality Street uh, English candy has gone viral on Twitter, racking up 30,000 likes as people were left fiercely divided by the results. Um, December's within touching distance and that almost means that our diets go down the pan, 80% of chocolate without 0% guilt. Advent calendars begin, uh, Colden Caterpillar puts on Santa's hat in preparation for the big day, and tins of chocolate provide round-the-clock snacking without the disappointment of finding your mum's sewing kit inside. For those who opt for a tin of Quality Street, might be left a bit frustrated after one chocolate fan counted the number of each variety inside labeling the findings. Stephen Hull, uh, head of digital of ITV News, found that the tin contained a total of 85 chocolates, but just four were the undoubtedly most delicious. Um, so there are only four, so there are only four of the green triangle, which I mentioned earlier, which is the best, the nice set triangle, the caramel cup and the orange cream and toffee penny on the other hand, uh, over under the scale with a stagging 11 each. So there's a caramel cup, the orange cream, and the toffee penny. The toffee penny's good. 11, only 11. But only four of the green triangles, uh, and caramel cup, orange cream, toffee penny, were 11. So, I mean, the green the green triangle is is best. There are just four purples, which is the, uh, the, the it's the caramel, the chocolate-covered caramel with a, with a hazelnut inside. Uh, and yet another, and then there was another eleven of the orange ones. So another type of orange chocolate. There were eleven of those, and he and he titled it hashtag Inquality Street, uh, without a doubt. Others wanted to check the workings for themselves. So Tate Davis added his own calculations to the report. He found the purple ones in the green triangles again to be the lowest quantity, and the chocolate strawberry to be the most plentiful. The, the orange and the chocolate strawberries are an absolute abomination. They need to get rid of those. The chocolate order, order left some raging as one replied, that's all kinds of wrong. Orange cream shouldn't be in the bloody mix, let alone staging a bloody takeover. It's like, it's like Michael Caine, and he's supposed to blow the bloody dolls off. Um, anyway, so, I mean, what a job being a chocolate auditor for a start. Probably the best job in the world, or one of them. Um, I think people should be able to start an online sweet swapping candy trading. You would swap your least favorite with another person's who might might be their favorite. So the coffee cream or the orange swirl or whatever it is uh, could be somebody's favorite, but it could be your least favorite. So you start swapping them. There must be people who just adore coffee creams but hate the uh, hate the the, the, the green triangles. There has there has to be out there. So I I think we do it do a a chocolate or candy sweet um, swap shop, and uh, we we swap our least favourites and find people who actually actually adore those ones, 
and uh, and start doing swapsies. So there we go. Thank you very much, Baby Trump, uh, for that little interjection there. Yeah, it's all right. Quiet now. Um, anyway, so next on Trump or Trombone, we uh, we look we look at the uh, Christmas tree wilting. Stop your Christmas tree wilting. So let's uh, let's have a figure out how do you keep those needles on from November to the end of December. Experts in Hansley Green's uh, Garden Centre and Christmas Shop in Cork Island have revealed what you should be doing to keep your tree looking as fresh as it did when you first bought it. So, in an attempt to spread the festive joys, Brits have been decking their halls with many ornaments as deemed appropriate before their living rooms start to resemble Santa's Grotto. There's nothing worse than the look of a Wilton Christmas tree, especially uh, when we expect it uh, and putting it up as sooner uh, than ever. Keeping your tree fresh and moist, it seems to be a running theme today through the podcast, keeping everything fresh and moist, but this is the tree, not the uh, not the uh, cockerel. Uh, the whole holiday season can be a bit, little bit tricky, but not anymore, ladies and gentlemen. That with a hack that revives the, it can reach the parts that other parts cannot be reached, or something along those lines. Uh, is the Seven Up the the, the, the a can of Seven Up is apparently uh, apparently revitalizing all these uh, wilting, decrepit, flaccid trees. Other than checking your tree's water level every day to make sure it's two inches of water at the base of the tree, Hanley's Garden Centre and Christmas Shop says that you should be watering with it, uh, it with 7-Up. The fizzy lemon and lime drink is the key to the hydrated, to hydrating the tree, three parts water and one part 7-Up. Explaining the method behind the madness, the gardener said the sugar in the 7-Up will help feed the tree and keep it fresher and living longer. So there we go. Who said that Keep Calm and Cauliflower, Cauliflower Cheese isn't a useful podcast and gives you some top tips? I wonder though if the sugar would start, uh, if, if the tree would start getting a sugar high. Would the tree start spinning, baubles bouncing, and would they have to call Santa in to perform an evergreen exorcism? And finally, a coin removed from man's nose after being stuck in it for more than 50 years. A man finally had his coin removed or coin removed from his nose after it stuck for more than half a century. Uh, the uh, 59-year-old unnamed Russian man was aged just six when he wasted the money into his right nostril. He was too scared to tell his strict mother about it and later forgot. The man, how can you forget a coin being up your nose? I suppose in my case, you could probably fit a, you know, maybe a roll of coins up there. The uh, man appear, uh, you know, apparently managed to live for the next 50 years unimpeded by the blockage until recently started complaining he couldn't breathe out of his right nostril. He went to the hospital and was given a scan which showed the unexpected uh, object in his nasal passage. Um, Rhinolith stones in the nasal cavity had formed around the coin, constricting the ability to breathe. Medics carried it out at endoscopic surgery under general anaesthetic, removing the stones and retrieving the Soviet one Quebec coin from his nose after 53 years. I wonder if it had uh, Stalin on it, you know, could it have one of the great dictators? I mean, you could have Lenin up one nose and Stalin up the, and the other and Putin up your bottom, something along those lines. Um, but, uh, I mean, could you soak the coin in Coke? I mean, we talked about 7-Up, but could you soak the coin in Coke to sparkle it up back to mint condition? I mean, I, I do believe that if I had a fortune, I could use my hooter as a snout safe. You know, 
keep keep all money up there and keep those Bank of England, uh, keep most of the Bank of England up my nostrils. You, on the dark, snotty web, uh, the currency would be bogey or booger Bitcoin. Okay, so we have another enigmatic English eccentric. So William Archibald Spooner is forever locked into history because the linguistic phenomenon known as Spoonerisms is named after him. A Spoonerism involves the accidental or sometimes intentional swapping of letters, words or vowels in a sentence. For example, go and shake a tower, meaning go and take a shower. Spooner was a professor at Oxford and he became so famous for his Spoonerisms that people would attend his lectures just to hear him make a mistake. He was not pleased about the publicity that surrounded him as he near death, his attitude softened and he gave interviews to the press. Spooner not only got his words wrong, he also wrote to a fellow professor to ask him to come immediately to help him solve a problem. At the end of the letter, he added a postscript that the matter had been resolved and he needn't come. Some Spoonerisms attributed to Spooner are uh, Mardami Padam, this uh, pie is occupied, can I sew you to another sheet? Pardon me, modem, the poo is occupied. Can I show you to another seat? Let us uh, glaze our asses to the queer old dean. Uh, raise our glasses to the dear old queen. Uh, we'll have the hags flung out. Flags hung out. So there we go. There's our enigmatic English eccentric William Archibald Spooner. So some of the articles uh, that didn't make it into Trample Trombone this week uh, UK's oldest and most underwhelming Christmas tree back on display for its 100th year. A tree bought by Woolworths in 1920 went on to survive Hitler's bombs and eight uh, house moves to become a treasured family joke became a contender for the most under underwhelming festive fur in the land. Um, owner Kay Ashton said the battered tree, which is held together by sticky tape, survived being bombed by the Blitz. It cost two shillings when it was bought in 1920. It's actually just a piece of uh, family history and a joke now. Uh, have you got a twig out there yet? I mean, this you talk about the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. This is even worse, and it and it's held together by, as she said, sticky tape. Why do we always fantasize about the hourglass, full-bottomed Christmas tree, the Kim Kardashian of Christmas trees? There are much less and fewer needles to fall off an anorexic Christmas tree, and you can actually put more ornaments on it and make it look even more gaudy. And uh, Czech golden pig ornaments get a mask for COVID Christmas. Um, the Czech Christmas ornament makers added tiny masks to the country's traditional golden pigs, which are said to arrive in the homes of good children who fast before Christmas Eve's family feast. The glass ornaments, which can be hung from a Christmas tree, have proved to be very, very popular. Uh, the company uh, owner, Romania Jukovia, uh, decided to mask the pigs in September to reflect how the Czechs are adapting for Christmas this year. We used to add bows and flowers to them this year, but we've added a face mask this year. We hope the next year we can decorate them a little bit more cheerfully. According to the custom, the pigs bring good luck and happiness. The masked pig ornaments have proved so popular. Jaklova said they're uh, making little else these days. They've been a massive hit. Now we're not doing anything else, but instead of making piglets, out of gold in, uh, in indeed, face masks. I want a golden porker for Christmas to hang on my tree. Um, I wish I could uh, buy a few of them and, uh, and, and, and add sort of socially distant troughs and a socially distant sty. Um, I also wonder if you rub the golden pig on your eye, could it get rid of the styes on the eye? 
and the uh, mortified mum finds malfunctioning frozen Elsa doll making X-rated noises. A mum shared a clip of the odd noise coming from her daughter's Elsa frozen doll on TikTok and was horrified that viewers said it should be thrown out immediately. Um, the woman discovered it was a frozen kid's toy that belonged to her little girls, uh, Ariva and Ava. The noise that was coming out of the mouth was far from appropriate to children. She immediately filmed the doll's inappropriate sounds and shared them and a reaction on TikTok, um, raising twins to show her followers what happens when the power begins to run out. The amused mother wrote, Imagine my confusion when I heard this sound coming out of the toy. Elsa really does need to indeed calm down. The toy, which usually speaks and moves, appeared to be running out of batteries, and it was heard repeating the words, I really need, I really need, I really need a zigazigar. Batteries are going flat, all the house is haunted, she wrote alongside the uh, the hilarious uh, clip. So I think it, this, this was, this was, uh, this is Elsa here. This was, uh, this is, this is live, live action report from Elsa. That's apparently the uh, with the with the batteries running out there. Um, so all Elsa was doing was indeed just letting it go, letting it go. At least it proves that the Ice Queen wasn't frigid, and thank God there were no shenanigans with the reindeer or indeed Olaf's snowman's popsicle. And only in Australia, escaped sheep wanders into hotel and waits for the elevator. A hotel in Wales shared a video of a sheep that wandered into a building and was found standing in a hallway where it appeared to be waiting for an elevator. Uh, the Premier Inn uh, posted on Facebook showing the sheep, a nicknamed uh, Sydney uh, by the hotel sharp is an Australian sheep. Uh, it was the most sheepish looking guest we've ever seen. Um, if an Aussie had been in the hotel, they would have taken it back to the room and sheared it. Allegedly, in, in Aussie, you can go and get a wax and a shear and get your sheep sheared at the same time. So, it's a real bird special on Keep Calm and Cauliflower, Christmas bird, the story behind the Christmas goose. It's a prized turkey that screwed sense of the urchin uh, at the end of the Christmas carol, but the goose was the original centerpiece on Cratchit's menu, as shown to Scrooge by the ghost of Christmas present. There was never such a goose as tenderness, flavour, size and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration. The modern-day American family will sit down to a meal of turkey, ham or beef this Christmas, but a goose remains the traditional Christmas meat of choice for many, and was long before Dickens wrote of its succulence. The goose has been perfectly created to make for the ideal Christmas feast. Geese are ready to be eaten twice a year, once they're young and green in the early summer, and again when they're at the fattest and ripest towards the end of the year, after having feasted on all the fallen corn. The fat turns to liquid on the goose at 111 degrees Fahrenheit, compared to duck fat at 126 degrees. Uh, easier to consume, tried on pancakes. Goose grease on pancakes, I don't know about that. They were used as a centerpiece at Michaelmas, a feast day celebrated during the Middle Ages, which fell on the winter solstice and honoured the end of the harvest and change in the season. Earlier then, the roast goose was an offering to Odlin and Thor in thanks to the harvest. It was also ritually eaten in ancient Greek culture to, in order to ensure the crops of the months to come. It was also natural for the goose to become the roast for everybody's choice at Christmas, which eventually took place of other winter solstice festivals. For the American settlers, Turkey took the goose's place because what, they, what happened uh, 
to be living in a new home and on new home soil and they wanted a different type of bird to eat at the Christmas celebrations. Here are some of the other facts about the majestic goose to chat about as you dine on its rich, deliciously dark meat. 16th century scholar Jules Caesar uh, quoted as saying, geese lower their heads in order to pass under the bridge no matter how high its arches are. And Alexander Dumas, uh, the historical novelist and gastronomic storyteller, said they have so much foresight that when they pass over Mount Taurus, which abounds in eagles, each goose will take a stone in its beak, knowing what chatterboxes they are. They ensure this constraining themselves that it will not emit the sounds and then cause the enemies to discover them. And then apparently, according to, uh, according to uh, Dumas, um, a French chemist who saw a, uh, who saw a goose uh, actually uh, turning on a spit, uh, or the goose was turning a spit uh, whilst the turkey was roasting. She was holding the end of the spit in her beak and was sticking out and pulling back her neck, produced the same effect as the use of an arm. All she needed was to be given a drink from time to time. And have you ever dined on Glory of Goose? What's your preparation goose of choice and you really want to use that goose fat to roast up all those lovely delicious potatoes don't use honey don't use the honey on the roasties use the goose fat so we only report the biggest news on keep calm and cauliflower cheese uh, rudy giuliani appeared to pass wind during a Michigan hearing regarding alleged voter uh, fraud on Wednesday, Giuliani, President Trump's personal lawyer, appeared to let the flatulence rip at least twice during the uh, nearly five-hour hearing before uh, state legislator on in Lansing in Michigan. He was in the midst of a heated exchange with Re Representative Darren Calamari, who confronted Giuliani over the New York Times article pardoning, um, uh, claiming that he lobbied Trump for a preemptive pardon. Um, I will ask that it be disciplined for that. Giuliani fired at Calamari when the first fart noise was heard. Around 90 seconds later, the microphone picked up a similar sound uh, heard by Trump's legal advisor, Jenna Ellis, who sat next to Giuliani during the hearing. Um, the answer that I gave you was that they didn't bother to interview a single witness, Giuliani said, refusing to stop the discussion with uh, Calamari. Uh, Ellis' head snaps back towards Giuliani, gives him a steady knowing stare, a small smirk, looked ready to escape, but she focused her attention back to the proceedings. While Ellis quickly regained her bearings after Giuliani appeared to break wind, the internet ran with the footage and shared jokes online. Uh, so here's some of the things that are online. Beyond bizarre, so why am I laughing? Jenna's face, Rudy farting so loudly that the mic picked it up and Jenna could barely hold back. A laugh is peak 2020. Girl, aren't you sad you refuse to wear a mask? Uh, and then uh, and then Rex Chapman said, OK, shut it all down. Rudy Giuliani just farted. Check out the side eye from the girl seated next to him. The second it happens, you just can't write this stuff. Uh, OK, give up. All of Giuliani's chaos over the last five years takes the cake, all the cheese, all the fart, he wrote. Beyond bizarre, so why am I laughing? Jenna's face, crying emojis everywhere. Um... And then uh, Giuliani just farted, checking out the side eye. So I think Giuliani, uh, we had to have a recording of Giuliani uh, trying to get into the Christmas spirit here. And um, some of his flatulence uh, set to music. Here we go, listen up. Here he is.
You could actually say it was the 12 parts of Christmas. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast this week. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese 42 at keep cheese on Twitter. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese on Instagram. Love to hear from you. Um, also, uh, postcards to Chappy Towers always reaches me. It's like uh, Santa Claus uh, getting notes up the chimney from children. You can always send notes or correspondences or uh, general discourse to Chappy Towers. And we finish today uh, with a rather lovely poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, The Three Kings. The three kings came riding from far away, Melchior and Gaspar, Balthazar, three wise men out of the east they were. They travelled by night and they slept by day, for their guide was beautiful, wonderful star. The star was so beautiful, large and clear, that all the other stars of the sky became a white mist in the atmosphere. And by this they knew that they were coming from near off the princes foretold in the prophecy. Three caskets they bore on their saddle bows, three caskets of gold with golden keys, their robes were of crimson silk with rows of bells and pomegranates and furb clouds and turbans like blossoming almond trees. And so the three kings rode into the west through the dusk of the night, over hill and dell, and sometimes they nodded with beard on breast, and sometimes talked as they paused to rest. With the people they met on some wayward well, of the child that is born, said Balthazar, good people, I pray you, tell us the news, for in the east have seen his star, and ridden fast and ridden far, to find and worship the king of the Jews. And the people answered, you ask in vain, we know not of the king but Herod the Great. They thought the wise men were insane, as they spurred their horses across the plain like riders in haste that cannot wait. And when they came to Jerusalem, Herod the Great, who had heard the thing, sent for the wise men and questioned them, go down to Bethlehem and bring me tidings of the new king. So they rode away and the star stood still, the only one in the grey morn, yes, it stopped, it stood still of its own free will, right over Bethlehem, on the hill, the city of David, where Christ was born. And the three kings rode through the gate and the guard, through the silent street, till their horses turned and neighed as they entered the great inn yard. But the windows were closed and the doors were barred, and only a light in the stable burned, and cradled in the scented hay. And the air made sweet by the breath of Keen, the young little child in the manger lay, the child that would be king one day of kingdom, not human but divine. His mother Mary of Nazareth sat watching beside his place of rest, watching the even flow of his breath through the joy of life and the terror of death were mingled together. They laid their offerings at his feet, the gold was a tribute to a king, the frankincense was his odour sweet, was for the priest and also the paraglate, the myrrh for the body's burying. And the mother wounded and bowed her head, and sat still on a statue of stone. Her heart was troubled, yet comforted, remembering what the angel had said on the endless reign of David's throne. When the kings rode out of the city gate with the clatter of hooves in proud array, but they did not go back to Herod the Great, for they knew his malice and feared his hate, and were returned to their homes by another way. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It was lovely to have you here, lovely for your company. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you again next week, towards the end of the week. And uh, we're going to try to fit in two more podcasts uh, by the end of the week. 
Lovely to have you here. And uh, Godspeed. And I'll talk to you again next week. Toodaloo for now.